you guys are brothers forever. Now hug it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to the Bible Geeks Podcast. This is episode 22. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Last week's episode was awesome. <laughs> it was. I had so much fun recording that. I think one of the best parts was it wasn't you and I talking the whole time. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Everybody one. was grateful for that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting, too, in the lead up to that how nervous Adrian and Sherilyn both were to do that. And then they killed it. Like they just knocked it out of the park. So much more natural than we are. (laughs) I know, right? We have a lot of work to do, man. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) So on this episode today, we're going to be talking about forgiving others. We find this all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament. Jesus was a perfect example of this. But before we get into that, we're going to start off with our Jesus said segment. And I've got a verse for you this week. And that's in Luke chapter 7. Beginning in verse 36, Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And he shows up, he's reclining at the table, and this woman comes in who crashes the party. And she is, by all accounts, on the outward appearance of it, she's a sinner, and everyone knows it. But she is crying, she's wiping Jesus's feet with the hair of her head, she's kissing his feet. And she has this flask of ointment that she is anointing his head with. And Simon, who is the Pharisee there at the party, basically says, don't you know she's a sinner? If you knew she was a sinner, you wouldn't even let her be touching you. Mm. And Jesus has something to say to this. He tells him a story about this money lender who has some debtors. One owes a little bit of money. One owes a lot of money. And he says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Asking him this question, Simon answers, well, the one I suppose who owed the greater debt. Then Jesus goes on to point right at Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So what do you think? Something about Jesus got to her. Mm -hmm. Something about the things he's been saying, you know, the things he's been doing, something about his manner. And she just breaks down. The center of this discussion, Jesus understands immediately, is about forgiveness. And she loves him because she has come to understand forgiveness through him and come to seek and receive forgiveness. And that's the next thing he says to her is, your sins are forgiven. The idea, I don't think, is that Simon doesn't have any sins and so he doesn't need to be forgiven. The idea is she has many sins, and she is utterly aware of her many sins, and therefore she loves him more than those who, maybe they are more righteous than her, but they also certainly consider themselves more righteous, and so forgiveness isn't as big a deal to them. They're both debtors. Mm -hmm. They're both people who owe something. It's not like Jesus is just giving Simon a pass and saying, well, you're perfect and you don't have any needs. 
the whole purpose of him mentioning that parable about the money lender was to say, you owe something. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be a small thing in comparison to this other person, but you still owe something and your debt is forgiven. It's not to say that we just have to become such great sinners, exceeding sinners to be able to really understand what love is about. But no matter who we are, no matter where we are, I have to remember that as good as I think I am, I'm still in debt. I still owe something. Simon, I think, was interesting here, too, because he didn't love her. And then as Jesus points out, he doesn't even love him because he's not doing all these things for him. He's ignoring Jesus or at least not giving Jesus the kind of attention that this woman is. So thinking that we're good, thinking that we're perfect, thinking that we have no need of anything causes us not only to be blind toward God and toward Christ, but it causes us to be blind toward other people. And we're going to treat people like we are their betters if we think that we have no needs. And we're going to treat God like we really don't need him that much anyway. Mm-hmm. If we don't realize that we have a need. Sometimes the question comes up, how do I love Jesus more? And there's two pieces of this that you have to see. One is who are you? And the other is who is Jesus? Or to put it another way, you have to see clearly your sin. And on the one hand, you forget what's behind, as Paul does. But on the other hand, you say, I am the chief of sinners. And then the response is, I think, something we need to learn from also. It reminds me of David running half naked through the streets, you know, just (laughs) praising God in jubilation that finally the ark is coming That shameless willingness to forget yourself and focus all your attention on the Lord is an aspect of worship that I think we need to be mindful of. And you can do this and still be decent and in order. You can do this and, you know, not make a spectacle such that it's all about you and not about the Lord. But whenever we start to not worry so much about what the people in Simon's house are thinking and start to focus more on what is happening to us because of this amazing Jesus, it changes the way we worship, I think. And it changes the way that we view other people, too. Yeah. So let's kind of roll this conversation into our next segment, which is flying through the book. I feel the need, the need for speed. All right, Maverick. So we've gotten a couple of books under our belt here so far, and we decided to pick off one today that has something very specifically to do with this idea of forgiving others. And it's one of the shortest books in the New Testament, and that is the book of Philemon. Yeah, and it's one of the prison epistles. So we're kind of pulling these prison epistles together, it seems. Paul is writing Philemon from prison somewhere. Maybe Ephesus, maybe Rome, maybe somewhere else. And he is trying to make an appeal to him for reconciliation. So he's writing to these three people, Philemon, Apphia, who he calls our sister, maybe Philemon's wife, and Archippus, who he calls our fellow soldier, maybe Philemon's son, maybe someone else who is just an important part of this church that meets in their house in Colossae. This letter was sent along with the letter to the Colossians, and as we'll see, it is a letter of Paul appealing to Philemon 
for reconciliation to someone who was formerly a slave. His name's Onesimus. But now, he says, this is your brother. And so the main point of these first three verses is to remember what we have in common. So the key words used twice here is fellow. This sense of fellowship is here, but they're not just fellows. They're fellow soldiers, Archippus, and fellow workers, Philemon. And so there's an insight here, I think, about what fellowship is really about. Fellowship was often used, this word koinonia, to describe a business partnership, not just of being together and having things in common, but doing things together. And so they are, as we are, not just people who have fellowship because we like to get together and have a potluck. That's not really the sense or the meaning of this word. It's people who have a common work and a common war that they are fighting together. So having set up this letter with this warmth and this sense of what they have in common, where does Paul go next? So verses four through seven, before Paul gets to the section where he actually asks Philemon for something or explains the reason why he's even writing, he tells Philemon how thankful he is for him, for having such a love and such a faith toward Jesus and toward all the saints. So Paul is really encouraging him. He's honoring him and telling him, I appreciate you. I appreciate the things that you're doing. Now, it kind of almost seems like Paul is buttering him up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when you have that person who's trying to ask something from you and they say some good things about you and they encourage you, you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) But I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I don't think Paul is being manipulative. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I don't think he's being manipulative here. I don't think he's not being genuine. I think he's being sincere. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to our last challenge in our last episode, we all every day have opportunities to express our appreciation for people and our gratitude for them and to point out the things that we honor in them and appreciate in them. No matter what's going on, even if there is an important issue that you need to deal with, maybe take a step back and ask yourself, why do I appreciate this person? Why do I care about them? Why do I really love them so much? And then as Paul does here, he he tells him. He says, hey, I really appreciate you. But he moves on then and he gets to the request. So what is he asking from Philemon? What's this big question he has? He wants him to receive this slave Onesimus back and not just receive him back into his house, which is already an ask, but to receive him back as a brother. You know, Mm -hmm. you're now brothers from another mother. (laughs) Onesimus is not who he was when he left you. On any level, he should not be who he was to you anymore. And so kind of the high level, these verses break down into first Paul talking about his authority and his love in verses 8 and 9, and then talking about his relationship with Onesimus in verses 10 to 13, and then finally offering Philemon an opportunity. And he basically tells him, God might be providing this to you. Kind of reminds me of Esther, you know, how do you know that it isn't for such a time as this, that this whole thing is playing out? So let's read through verses eight to 16 here. Accordingly, 
Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I love that phrase. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Mm -hmm. This is how he thinks of Onesimus. What an appeal here. And he uses the word appeal three times in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. He's not making a command. He specifically says this. He's making an appeal. He is being strategic, I think, and he's being sincere in the way he does this. He is taking what he really believes about Philemon and about Onesimus and about himself and about Christ and letting that alter the way he speaks. Mm -hmm. And so he is offering this transforming act of persuasion. He is trying to persuade Philemon to do something, but he doesn't want to command him. Paul says, basically, I prefer to influence you through love rather than by authority. You know, control and compulsion and command can rob people of the chance to act out of their own goodness, of their own accord, as he says in verse 14. And I also see in here a little subtle lesson about providence. One of my favorite insights about providence, something that has really guided me, comes from this little word, perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, not as a slave, but as a brother. Maybe this is God's doing, and maybe this is why God's doing it. Paul does not presume to know everything that God's doing or why he's doing it. And then he starts to drill down into something I think even more remarkable, and that is how Paul steps into this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon in this next section. So what's verses 17 to 25 as we conclude the book? It would appear that when Onesimus was with Philemon as his slave or his servant before he ran away, that Onesimus has wronged him Mm. or taken something from him. And now we don't know the details of this necessarily. A little travel money on the run. Something. Grab some jewels on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, Onesimus being what by all accounts would be considered Philemon's 
property, having left at all would have been a challenge for Philemon to deal with and to work through. Yeah. But Paul steps into the gap here and basically says between them, as this moderator or mediator between them, he says in verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me, even your own self, Paul's basically saying, put it on my credit card. Mm -hmm. If Onesimus owes you anything, I'll take care of that. Sometimes in relationship troubles, in areas where we feel like we've been defrauded or somebody owes us something, we need a third party to step in and help facilitate this conversation. But even more than just being kind of a neutral third party, he's reminding Philemon, you owe me your whole self. You wouldn't even know about the gospel if I hadn't come to you and told you about it. You wouldn't be forgiven of your sins if I hadn't told you about Christ. Mm -hmm. So you owe me something. And as you look now over to Onesimus, who owes you something, you need to be the kind of person who responds like Jesus talked about in that Jesus said passage, or like he talks about in the parable of the debtors in Matthew chapter 18. When we look around at people who owe us something, we need to be the kinds of people who pay it forward and forgive them because we've been forgiven. And he knows Philemon's going to take care of this. He's already gotten done saying, Philemon, you're someone who loves and is full of faith. You're going to show love to Onesimus. I know that's going to happen. And far beyond what I could even imagine, you're going to do that. So this is personal. Mm -hmm. And dealing with this issue of Onesimus who left Philemon, an unbeliever, but came back to him as a believer, Philemon's going to have some work to do. I think it's easy for us to read this and just kind of think, well, you know, what's the big deal? Just take him back yeah. and miss the great demand that Paul is asking of these two men, both of them, really. I mean, he is putting a lot on them by urging them to reconcile in this way. What would it cost each of them as you think about Philemon and Onesimus? If I put myself in Onesimus's shoes, wouldn't you think he's really afraid to go back? Mm-hmm that he has done things that were hurtful, that he's left. He's probably unsure about what's going to happen. He's probably unsure about how Philemon is going to respond to him. And I think sometimes for me, that feeling of uncertainty about how someone will respond is paralyzing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they're going to respond when I come back or when I apologize or when I try to make this situation right. What if they don't take me back? Yeah. Or what if they don't forgive me? Or what if they hold it against me? Or what if they view me as weak? Yeah. And at least for Onesimus, he's probably in this situation where he's having to put his tail between his legs and come back. Mm. But then on Philemon's side, he's being asked to restore a relationship and to forgive, which holding grudges and holding things over people's heads is so much easier than letting it go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's so much easier just to feel superior, to feel like you have been wronged, and to kind of spin on that idea in your mind over and over and over again, and just keep telling yourself, no, I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in my frustration. He's asking the pair of them really to tackle some tough ideas and just get over it. Mm -hmm. In the companion letter to Philemon Colossians, 
in chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, which sounds pretty much exactly Mm -hmm. like what this is dealing with here. But he goes on and he says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Mm -hmm. You've been forgiven a debt by the Lord, and you must do the same thing that the Lord did for you to other people. Mm -hmm. When that person says something hurtful to you, when they say things that are causing you to question your relationship, you got to be willing to forgive. One of the things that I love about what Paul is doing here is he's showing us in this letter, in this real life situation, that all of these profound theological ideas that Paul is talking about are everyday practical ideas. They have to be lived. Mm -hmm. That letter of Colossians starts out with this amazing discussion of who Jesus is in Colossians 1, 12 to 20. And the end of it is verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What did Jesus do? Why did Jesus die And as Paul writes this short letter off to Philemon, he writes this longer discourse on what Jesus is doing and what that means for us. And at the heart of that is reconciliation, is Jesus reaching out with one hand to us and one hand to God the Father and bringing us together, reaching out with one hand to the Jews and one hand to the Gentiles and, you know, just bringing the whole world together, male and female, slave and free. And all of these things are being reconciled and peace is being made by Christ. And so Paul here, I love this, like imitating Jesus, stretching his arms out as if on a cross, Paul stands between Philemon and Onesimus and says, here, you take my hand, here, you take my hand, now you take each other's hand. This is real life stuff. We are the ministry of reconciliation in the world. And if Christ has forgiven us, as you just read, we have to forgive others and we have to reach across the aisle. So, you know, people say that in politics. Well, this Republican is willing to reach across the aisle to Democrats. And for some reason, people have the hardest time doing that, not just in politics, but in everything. We have a hard time reaching across to someone who we think is one of those people and not one of just people who need to be connected to the Lord and that we need to be willing to offer this connection of forgiveness and grace and compassion and love towards. Well, and Jesus said it himself in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you could call Jesus anything, he was a peacemaker, as you just read from the beginning of Colossians. But he's not only saying, I'm a peacemaker, you need to be a peacemaker too. And do you think sometimes if you're the third party, like if you're Paul in this situation, Are you tempted to just say, it's none of my business? Yes. (laughs) Right? That's between them. That's their problem. Let them work it out. But that's not what Paul's doing, and that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. You got to step in, and you have to make it your business, because the kingdom cannot be divided by things like this. We can't just sit idly by and watch people separate themselves 
label other people. We have to be the kind of people who get in the middle and work, and it is work, to make peace. Yeah, at the end of this, he mentions Epaphras, fellow prisoners, greets them, and then he says, and so does Mark. And Mark is someone who Paul had some issues with in the past. Mark ditched him in the middle of a ministry preaching trip, and now Mark is with him. He has been reconciled to Paul. And you think back to Barnabas at the time of this problem, whenever they were about to start another preaching trip, and Paul doesn't want to bring Mark because look at his track record. And Barnabas puts his arm around Mark, figuratively, maybe literally, and says, hey, I'm going to give you another shot. I believe in you. I'm going to take you with me. And Paul and Barnabas, who have been partners in this for a long time, split over this. And, you know, you can understand both men's perspectives. And I'm not saying either one is completely wrong. But here, Mark has been reconciled. This continues to play out. He's a brother in Christ. And how glad we are that Mark continued to work and grow and teach and learn from these men and partner with Paul and Barnabas, these Christians are imperfectly figuring out how to live the reconciliation that Jesus brings into the world. Yeah. Sometimes it means believing in someone or giving someone another chance whenever they don't really deserve it based on their track record. But what are you going to do? You know their value. You know that Jesus has given you another chance whenever your track record wouldn't demand it. And so you keep trying to reach out with grace to others. And as we remember back to Jesus's words about the second greatest commandment, which is loving our neighbor as ourself. Mm -hmm. That's actually a quotation from the book of Leviticus in chapter 19. Mm -hmm. And in the same place where... God is speaking to the people this word of loving their neighbor as themselves. He says in verse 17 of Leviticus 19, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. I am the Lord. I thought this was just a New Testament idea. Right, exactly. (laughs) But all the way back in Leviticus, when God is giving them the law, he's saying, don't hold grudges against people. Don't take vengeance. Don't try to get your own retribution. Because the goal here is love. And the goal here is loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the golden rule. Because... He is the Lord. And that's the, I love, I love the whole reason. <laughs> yeah, for that. yeah. It's kind of like when I talk to Ashlyn and I say, because I'm your dad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in charge here. You're not in charge. I said because so. Because I said so. Exactly. It's almost like a punctuation mark. It's just, yes. this is what I stamp. This is my signature at the end of this command. Don't hold a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Now go work it out. Yeah. Go talk to your brother. Figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. Jesus does something that no one else seems to have done before him, which is he tacked on this passage that you just brought up, Leviticus 19.18, onto the Shema. And that together was the core of what 
Jesus is teaching, you know, and you see this in the Lord's prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he starts with God and then he goes on to other people around you. You see this all over in Jesus teaching, start with God, love him, honor him, and then go to reflecting that to love for others. Boiled down what you're here to do, boiled down the commandments and all of these thousands of pages in your Bible, Jesus, the teacher himself says, here it is. Are you loving God? Are you loving your neighbor? And in that same verse with love your neighbor as yourself, it's don't bear a grudge. So if you've got a grudge in your heart, you are breaking the most fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus and obey God. We mentioned it a little bit, but it's easy when we label people and we write them off to say, well, they're just some of those people. They're those people over there. Mm -hmm. And then we can treat them in our minds however we want to treat them because, oh, well, they're not one of us. They're not accepted or they're not worthy of our attention or, or of our forgiveness or of our mercy or kindness. And so for me, when I look into my life and I see all of my relationships, all the people that I know, if I've labeled someone, if I've treated them as other or like Simon did with the woman, just written her off as a sinner, then I haven't shown mercy. Mm. And how can I expect God to show me mercy? And so our mercy that God shows to us is directly dependent on our choices to show mercy to other people. And that's sobering. Yeah, it is. Because I need to take stock about my relationships before I think that I'm doing so well. Well, it makes me think about the word neighbor. And maybe that's where we get snagged is do we need to fold people that we've put outside the circle of neighbor back in to neighbor when we say love your neighbor and you know it makes you think of the question that Jesus was asked who is my neighbor and Jesus didn't exactly answer it no he gave a story that's changed the course of history you know <laughs> the story of the good samaritan and the point is who is the neighbor the person that is serving is being neighborly and that person was kind and compassionate and merciful in spite of the across the aisle divide that they're a Samaritan and they're serving someone who is a Jew. And that says to us, maybe even one of your Facebook friends that has a different position on something said something that is unforgivable in your mind. Well, it's not unforgivable for a Christian. You have to work through it. And, you know, I'm bringing up Facebook as an example because that's one of the places we tend to dehumanize each other most. We can separate that, the person from the icon we see on the screen. But this happens everywhere in our lives. What could someone do that we would never forgive them for? Mm. But then when you step back and think about it, what have I done that God forgave me for? Mm -hmm. And when you put it in that perspective, when you think about it from that viewpoint, shouldn't I be willing to forgive? 
Forgiving is not the same as accepting someone's behavior as just fine. It's not affirming, it's okay for you to talk to me this way, or it's okay for you to be an awful person and steal my computer, or whatever it is, you know? (laughs) But it's saying, the things you do cannot overcome my faithfulness to Christ. The things you do cannot change who I am because of what God is doing. And what I am is someone imitating Christ. It's not a deal breaker. It's not a deal breaker. Yeah. I think for me, and if I'm honest, in my life, the hardest people to forgive have been not those who hurt me, but those who hurt people I loved. Oh, sure. There have been people who just were awful to my dad. And that to me, it feels like a deal breaker. And I've had to do a lot of work with that. Some people who are awful to my sister. And I thought, how can you do this? You are permanently in the penalty box with me. I had to work through, you might not have a big place in my life from now on, but I leave you with grace and I really want a good life for you. And, you know, if we interact again, I am going to try to offer grace because that is what I need to heal myself. But also that is the debt that I owe to every person because of who Jesus Christ is and the debt that he paid for me. Well, this might just have scratched the surface on forgiving others because honestly, in every situation, things are complicated and every situation is a little different, which is why I love Philemon Mm. because we get this little glimpse into a small story about something I think we can all relate to and maybe extrapolate into our own situations and in our own relationships with other people. It's amazing that we have barely scratched the surface of 25 verses of Philemon. I mean, we didn't talk about what it means to refresh the saints. We didn't talk about so many cool pieces of this book, but that is scripture for you. There's so much there and (laughs) certainly hope that this has sparked some interest in this amazing little letter of Paul. I heard N.T. Wright say, and I think he's right, that if all we had of the New Testament was this one letter to Philemon, we would already know just from this little personal greeting that something profound and amazing has happened in the world to change culture so much in this person, Paul. Look at what he's saying about these two humans that shouldn't even be able to have dinner together. And he's saying, you guys are brothers forever. Now hug it out. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing. So what's our challenge? So I think the most useful challenge for this episode is to be a little bit introspective this week. Think about the people that maybe you're holding grudges against. Maybe they've offended you. Maybe there's been some personal disagreement between you and forgive them. And if not, go to them, pray to God on their behalf and ask him to strengthen the relationship that maybe has been broken between you. Yeah, it's good. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. If you want to contact us, go to BibleGeeks.fm slash contact, and you can send us a message. We're also on social media. We are slash the Bible Geeks, wherever you might find us. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
Shalom. Shalom.